Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Let me hear you. Uh, every Sunday of July, we're going to take a moment right before the message and just highlight one of our ministry partners. And as Brian said, Isaiah 117 is one of those partners. And so we like to say thank you to every person that's giving financially to Victory through tithing or through offering. We're able to do so much, again, not only inside the four walls, which obviously we're doing ministry every week and from every aspect, from Dream Team to V-Kids to we have a lot of vision we'll be sharing in September, but also what we're able to do outside of the four walls. And again, with Isaiah 117, our last summer swap, we were able to give a bunch of gift cards to the employees that they can use when they need to hurry up and take one of the kids and get them a bite to eat real quick. Um, and it was just an awesome opportunity to partner with them. If you know anything about them, it's, it's a great ministry. And so if you're looking, you say, hey, I want to start giving, I want to start tithing. As the video said, you can do that through our website or just even as you're walking out the door. But we really want to encourage you that as you're partnering with Victory Church to see what God's doing with the finances of this church and jump on board to be able to be a part of impacting so many lives. I want, I want to hit a couple of quick announcements before I get into the Word. First of all, I want, I want to highlight again what Zoe said about Growth Track. And just encourage you guys to get out there and go through it while the summer's happening. Because when the fall hits, <clears throat> we're going to hit August and we're going to take off. We've, we've just seen great numbers throughout the summer. So we, we have high expectations for August, September, and of course, October's our At the Movies series. And so I want to encourage you to go ahead and get on the team. Find out about it. If you've been coming and you're like, ah, I think now's the time. Now's the time. Jump on there. Learn how you can serve, how you can be a part, and just continue to connect with our family. We have another meet and greet coming up early August that I want to invite you to. We'll start talking about that soon for you to come and hear more about the vision from Darla and I. And we just want you to get connected. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, in front of you, you're going to see that we've moved the QR code from the screens down to the chairs in front of you. We wanted to make it more accessible for you. And so any Sunday, as the sermon, the service is coming to a close, if you're wanting to take a next step, maybe you're choosing to follow Jesus, maybe you'd like to get baptized in water, join a dream team, one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship, whatever that might be, you can scan that QR code right from your seat and be able to uh, have us follow up with you and continue to help you take that next step. Are you ready for the Word? All right, hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. As you're turning there, Brian mentioned a new series. We have... We have tied a ribbon around our Following Jesus series, which was just a huge hit for us. So many people uh, were able to take that next step and be able to figure out more and more what it looks like to practically follow Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. And in one of those messages, I talked about how the Holy Spirit was how God changes us from within. And it, and it struck something in me while I was preaching it. And I said, I really want to go deeper in this concept of change and what it really looks like and what the practical steps are for us, because I do believe that as we're following Jesus, there should be change happening in our lives. And, but sometimes we can kind of get that misunderstood, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll go on believing something that isn't true, and it'll become frustrating. And so I just started thinking about this, and I'm and, and kind of piecing stuff together, and, and I think it's really going to be a great series. And I do want to encourage you, if you're available on Thursday night, to come and fellowship and be together, but also to be able to go deeper in this concept. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> and this is the foundational verse for this series. And so um, what you're going to see where we pulled up this concept from. So every Sunday, I'm going to reiterate these two verses, but then we're going to jump into the actual point that we're talking about for that day. So Romans 12, verse 1, uh, the, the pastor Paul, the apostle Paul is preaching to the church in Rome, and he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, everybody say, in view, in view. of God's mercy. That's important because he's saying everything I'm about to tell you, I want you to filter it through the mercy of God. So don't filter it through your own power. Don't filter it through your religious teachings. Filter it through the mercy of God. And here's what he goes on to say. 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. So he says, worship God by, by giving your life to Jesus. And then watch this. This is what is building the series. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So right there, we are given evidence that the world has a pattern, that our culture has a pattern, that there are patterns given to us by the world, by, the, by culture, and, and they're encouraging us to follow those patterns. But Paul says, don't. Don't conform to, the, don't conform to those patterns, but instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So right off the bat, he lets us know that these patterns are often started right here in our mind. And he also promises us transformation, that if we won't conform to those patterns, we will in fact be transformed. And he goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. I want to talk to you today from, from this idea. Pardon my mess, I'm growing. Pardon my mess, I'm growing. When I, when I got saved right around 17 years old, uh, I, had, I had never been to church. I'd been to church, a building for a couple of funerals in my lifetime, but I had never had conversation about God, never read the Bible. Uh, I told first service, I think I might have known John 3.16 because of Austin 3.16. Anybody remember that? Oh, okay. Uh, you wrestling fans. And like, that, that, that was my only real connection to, to, to biblical scripture. I just didn't know anything about it, but, but I got invited to church and I loved church. I loved the, the preaching. I loved the pastor, Pastor Ron. Many of y'all have met him. He, he was uh, the pastor at the time. Brian, of course, who was just up here, was the guy who invited me to church, and we were best friends, so we were going to church together, and, and it was a fun environment, and, and the, the concept, the principles that were being preached were life-giving to my heart. They, they were hope-filled, and so I, there was something happening in my life, and, and I wanted to change. I really did. But I would walk out of church on Sunday, and I would go to my car after church was over, and I had all of these great ideas and beliefs and hopes that I was going to change. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes hours after, sometimes days after, I, I found myself right back where I was right before I even went into church. And, and you know, to be honest with you, I hadn't changed any patterns in my life. I hadn't started reading the Bible. I hadn't started praying. Uh, I hadn't started hanging out with people differently necessarily. But I was going to church and I was hearing the Bible, and I, I was hearing the promises of the Bible, and I was hearing the character of God, and, and in the Holy Spirit, I was leaving wanting to change, but I didn't know how to change. And so because I didn't know how to change, I was often frustrated by the lack of change, and that's kind of what this series is all about, is, is making sure that you and I understand how to move forward, how to effectively find ourselves biblically in a place where we can see change. I think there are a few things in life more frustrating than knowing you need to change, wanting to change, trying to change, but not actually changing, right? Like, I don't know that there's anything that, that can be more, more disappointing and make you more angry than knowing this has got to change. This is dysfunctional. It's not positive. It's got to change. Now, I want to change it. I'm going to try to change it, but it's not actually changing, you know, I mean, we might say like, hey, I, I want to change my thought patterns, or I want to change the way I talk, or I, I want to change my marriage, or I want to change my friendship, or I want to change my finances, or I want to change, you know, just, just how I'm operating as a, as a person. I want to read the Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to be more godly. We, we come up with these areas that we want to change, and, and then we actually try to change, but we don't see change. I think it's because change is hard. 
It's hard. And trying to change is exhausting. But watch this. Then we add the sense of shame that we feel because we're settling for less, because we're not changing. And eventually, it causes us to actually despise the idea of change. And then we begin to avoid change due to the apparent inability to do so. So let me, let me, let me re-say that. We want to change, but change is hard. We're exhausted by trying to change. Then we add this sense of shame that's given to us because we're not changing. And then we move forward with believing that it's, it's actually enabled, we're, we're enabled to change. And so then we just start avoiding the idea of change altogether. When Jesus comes on the scene, y'all, what's going on, the culture of the place is, is very similar to what I just told you. The, the people who are wanting to live for God, they have been introduced to this legal system they were given 10 commandments in the Old Testament, but now the religious leaders have added uh, so many different laws to these commandments that the people just trying to live for God, they're exhausted. Like, it's just, it's impossible. I preached uh, probably a few years ago about how, it, how exaggerating they were, and it was to a point to where, I mean, you couldn't even, like, take your false teeth out. Like, it was just, it was insane how, how, how much they had elevated these laws. And so the people, they wanted to live for God, and they wanted to change, but they just, they weren't succeeding at it. And so they were exhausted. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, listen to me. You're never going to be able to change yourself. You're never going to be good enough. If you will just look to me, then your relationship with me will change you. And that was relief for the people. And I think today we're in danger of still living in that broken cycle where we think we're going to change ourselves. And now we're upset because we're not changing and not really embracing the idea that if we'll just focus on Jesus, Jesus will bring change. Let me ask you this. What if change is possible? What if the change that you're wanting to see in your life in whatever area, we all know what it is, it's all different areas depending on where we are in our season of life, the changes I wanted to see at 16 are the changes I'm wanting to see at 38. We're all wanting to see changes, but what if change is possible? And what if the problem to change, watch this, isn't exactly us, but the process in which we've been trying to change? So what if it's not that we're not changeable, but the process in which we are going by to change is wrong. What if the problem is our patterns? What if it's the patterns that we're keeping in our marriage, the patterns that we're keeping in our thoughts, the patterns that we're keeping in, in, in our social life and in our financial life? What if it's the patterns that are the problem? This entire series, we're going to get very practical over the next couple of weeks, and, and I'm going to try my best to make it very applicable because I want you to really be able to walk out of here and feel empowered to really see change. It's not about walking out and feeling bad about something. It's feeling like you have the tools to go out and to really see change in your life. But this message is so important because if you don't get this message, then you won't be able to understand the rest of the message. This, this is the foundation that we're going to build everything else on top of. You, we really need to embrace this idea for us to be able to embrace all the future ideas. Here's what I mean. Before you and I can focus on what we are doing, we have to start with who we believe we are. Before you can get focused on well, what am I doing, what am I doing wrong, or what can I do it better, we, we need to start with who it is that you believe you are. 
So in Matthew, the end of chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, something is happening where Jesus is getting ready to begin his ministry. He, he's been alive for around 30 years. He'll go on to do about three and a half years of ministry, and he's about to get baptized, and then he'll be put into the temptation of wilderness, is what they call it, for 40 days. He'll fast. You guys know this story. And then he will begin his ministry. So we're going to pick up in the end of Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is about to be baptized. Watch this. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, boop, underwater, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven is opened. And, and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. Now watch this. And a voice from heaven, everybody say God. God, God said, this is my son, identity, whom I love, affection, and with whom I am well pleased, affirmation. Do you see that? This is my son, identity, whom I love, affection, with whom I'm well pleased, affirmation. And at this point, Jesus hasn't done anything. He hasn't done his ministry yet. And then watch what it says. It's so powerful. Then, everybody say then. Then, then, then after he established who he was, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is one of my favorite set of verses in the Bible, and here's the reason. I believe God is showing us a pattern. I believe it's a pattern that he believes is vital to you and I being able to overcome the temptations of the enemy, and that is to establish who we are before we start talking about what we're doing. It's important for you to know this about you. It's important for you to have affirmation. It's important for you to have relationship. It's important for you to have identity and affection. You need to have these things first before you go and face temptation. Because if you try to beat what you're doing without believing who you are, you will not succeed. And so God, even Jesus, y'all, even Jesus, he made sure he knew who he was before he sent him out to do anything. You see, it's often difficult for us to separate our identity from our behavior. There's just something naturally in us that who we think we are has a tendency to drive how we behave. I'll give you some examples. Um, if we believe that we're bad with finances, then we will behave like we're bad with finances, right? Uh, if, if we believe we are an angry person, then we will behave as an angry person. If we believe we are an unloved person or an unimportant person or a person with no purpose or no destiny, we will behave like an unloved, unimportant person with no purpose or no destiny. If, if we believe we're bad at relationships, then we will behave like we are bad at relationships. You will never find somebody who believes they're good at relationships but behaves like they're bad at them. You'll never find somebody who believes they're loved, but they behave like they're unloved because the way we believe uh, tends to drive the way that we behave. And for many of us, instead of our behavior being driven by our God-given identities, it's driven by our self-given identities. So instead of being driven by the fact that we are loved by God, that we are affirmed by God, that we are a son of God or a daughter of God, that we have won, that we are fighting from victory, not for victory, instead of behaving by these God-given identities that Scripture tells you who you are. Instead, we're driven by self-identities, 
I was talking to a friend in the lobby. I love this. And he said, there's, there's three different things. He said, there's the identity, which is who we are in God because he's the great I am. He said, it's the, the me-dentity, right? Right, who I think I am. And then he said, it's the lie-dentity. Ooh, I was like, don't make me go preach a whole new sermon in there. So who the world, right? We, we tend to come up with these self-given identities based off of what we think and what we've been through in the past or what people have said about us. And we establish these identities. Well, this is just who I am. Well, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't include, y'all are special. I didn't include this in first service. It was so good. You ready? Remember when uh, the, the devil comes and tempts Adam and Eve and, and, and lets, they, they eat the fruit and their eyes open and then God comes looking for them and they say, well, we were hiding because we were naked. Y'all remember that? And God said what? Who t- thank you. Who told you that? He said, who told you that? Right? If we're not careful, we'll, we'll allow our behavior to be driven by self-given identities or identities given to us by somebody else. Who told you that? God-given identities. Not careful, we'll try to change. or put like this, When we try to change our behavior without changing our identity first, we're not pulling up a weed or we're pulling up a weed without getting to the root. When you and I are trying to change without addressing the behavior, we're pulling up that weed, and anybody in here who's a gardener, you know, you pull that weed up, but if you don't get that root, what's going to happen? Weed's going to come back. Here's another way of saying it. We are treating the symptoms without treating the sickness, right? We have to make sure that our identity is in place, that we believe who we are in Christ before we ever start talking about what we're doing. And Casey Ray, my, my youngest, she's, she's the athlete of the family. She, she gets that from her mom. She, she's in everything. She's been in archery. She's been in BMX. She's been in soccer. And then this year, she came to us and she said, I, she found out that her best friend, one of her best friends, was uh, in flag football. And she said, I want to do flag football. And the coach was a good friend of ours. Their family go to church here. And so we were like, okay, cool. That, that'll work out. That'd be cool. So we signed her up. And it was cool for me because I, I love football, and so that was kind of, you know, kind of a cool connection for us. And so I didn't get to go to a couple of the practices, but the first game is ready, and I show up to the first game. And you can just tell she doesn't quite know what, where she's at, like how to belong. You know, she's, she's the only girl on the team. She might have been the only girl in the whole league. I'm not sure. And, and it was, she was just real timid, and so, like, they would start tackling, and she would just kind of watch a little bit. And she would try occasionally, but it would get rough, and she'd kind of pull back. And there was a couple times where they threw her the ball, and she didn't catch it. And so we're just watching all this, and this is the first time I ever even setting foot on, you know, a flag football field. And so it, it was an interesting experience. So after the game's over, Darla and I start talking, and we're like, all right, you know, number one, we got to practice. We got to get in the backyard. We got to throw the football. We got to get ready because we're winners, you know. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but, but, but then we start talking, and we're like, you know what we got to do? And she's like, we got to do it. So we gathered Casey Ray on the living room couch, and we put on the movie The Little Giants. Y'all ever seen that movie? We put on the, now, in The Little Giants, there's a, there's a female football player in the movie. She's the only girl football player. And in the movie, they call her Icebox because all the boys are scared of her. And she just comes in. I mean, she's tackling them, pushing them down, putting their face in the mud. Like, she is bad. You know what I mean? She's B-A-D. It's so awesome. So we're watching the movie with Casey Ray. We're like, that's you. That's you. You're Icebox. That's you. You ah. And we're just getting all hyped and excited. And so she shows up to the next game, and Coach Tommy's calling her Icebox. What's up, Icebox? You ready, Icebox? Y'all, you would have thought we released 
a ferocious lion on that football field. She was just looking for somebody to hurt. You know what I mean? She was hitting referees and fans and everything, just diving over every. One time she was on this side of the field and they were running the football down this side of the field. And I'm not lying to you. I watched her run from this side of the field and tackle this guy before any other boy on her team could catch. She ran all the way across the field and she would tackle people with like a little, ugh, you know, like a little gangster. And she would take the thing and walk up like, you looking for this punk? You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was so awesome. I loved it. And, and with every game she got better, she was catching, catching touchdowns. Like there was one picture that Coach Tommy took of her and her face, y'all, her face was just like, I will kill you. You know what I mean? Like she was just ready. One of the last games she catches this pass and she's running down the sideline and we're watching it. And there's like a few boys standing in between her and the touchdown ready to tackle her. And we're like, oh, you know, we thought she was going to score. And y'all, she lowered her shoulder. And I mean, she just bowled them boys over, just boom, like tackle football out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It was awesome. Like, it was so cool because what had happened, y'all, she had taken on this identity. The first time she was on the court, she didn't have her identity and it impacted the way she behaved. But the moment she started believing she was icebox, it changed the way she behaved. She started tackling people, scoring touchdowns. I'm telling you this, listen to me. When you and I understand our identity, it drives the way we behave. When we believe we are a son of God, when you believe you are a daughter of God, when you believe you are saved, redeemed, sanctified, restored, when you believe God's got a calling on your life and a purpose on your life, it impacts what you do. It changes the way you behave. It was because of who she thought she was that changed how she acted. We're trying to change how we act, but we don't know who we are. But when we know who we are, when we know we are children of God, it drives our behavior. When we don't experience lasting change, when we try to change and it changes for a minute and it goes back, it's because we've tried to alter what we do without changing what we think of ourselves. We've, we've tried to stop doing something. We've tried to change what we do, but we didn't do anything about who we think we are. Some of you need to be told your icebox. Some of you need to be told who you are so that you can allow your identity to drive your behavior. True and lasting change does not come from self-driven, do-your-best behavior modification. It just doesn't. We change by God-empowered spiritual transformation, which happens when we embrace our true God-given identity. You'll never change because you want to change what you're doing. We change when we start to fully understand who we are. We start to embrace what God has called us to be and what he's doing in our life. And so here's what I want to do. I, I believe that today's message is the foundation and the springboard for everything we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. And so I want to spend the last few minutes focusing on changing what you think of you. Let me give you three things just to impact how you think of you. Number one is this, you are chosen. You are chosen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, says this. He, God, chose, everybody say us, us. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Watch this. That we would be holy and blameless before him. 
He did not choose us because we are holy and blameless. He chose us because he loves us, and in him we will be holy and blameless. He chose us. He, some of y'all just need to hear this. God chose you. He didn't choose these people, but not these people. He didn't choose your spouse, but not you. He didn't choose your friend, but not you. He chose you. He chose you. Not because you performed well, not because of any other reason, but because he loves you. I think experiencing true change sometimes isn't about understanding our identity as much as it is believing it is our identity. See, sometimes we're kind of like, well, how can I be righteous if I still make mistakes? We're trying to understand it all, but you're righteous because you're righteous in Christ. So it's not so much about understanding it as much as it is you believing it. We got to get to a place where you believe it, where you can get up out of this church, walk outside, walk into your job, walk into your house, and you believe you are who the Word of God says you are. I've thought a lot about this, and I've been thinking, like, why, why is that so difficult? Why is that so difficult for me? Why is it so difficult to really accept and stand on the idea that God chose me? And then I realized everyone in this room, watch this, everyone in this room at some point in your life has experienced a moment where you didn't get picked. There was a moment where whatever the situation was going on, they didn't choose you. Let's go through some examples. Maybe it was in grade school. You're getting picked for the basketball team or the kickball team or the football team or the cheerleading team. And they started picking people, but not you. Remember the old, uh, the old playground pick where they line up all 10 people, but only like, you know, or they, they line up 11 people, but only 10 were going to get picked. And one by you just watch the people one by one. There's another Little Giants reference in case you're wondering. And one by one they go, and then you're just standing there. You didn't get picked because you weren't tall enough, you weren't good enough, you didn't know the right people. Then we get a little bit older and we get into school and we start getting picked for assignments or we, we didn't get the right, the right uh, test score. We find ourselves eventually in, an, uh, in the age where we're talking about dating and maybe we didn't get picked by the person relationally and then you get into college and you didn't get picked by your college and then you have job applications and you didn't get picked by your job and then here we are still even to this day where maybe there's the group of people that you want to hang out with but you're not being picked by them and we're, all of us have constantly experienced moments in life of rejection. We've all been in moments where people were getting picked but we didn't get picked. And if we were honest, we may have found out that it was because of something we didn't do as well as everybody else. Man, I wasn't as tall as them. I wasn't as pretty as them. I didn't score as well as them. I didn't perform as well as them. And so here's what we do. Watch this. We connect the idea that because I'm not blank, I'm not getting picked. Right? And then for some reason, what we've done is we've, we've kind of supernaturally, or, or not super, sorry, naturally moved that over to our relationship with God. And we've told ourselves, yeah, I understand that they are chosen, but because I'm not, God wouldn't pick me. And so we struggle really being able to embrace our identity in God because we've been rejected before. Watch this. Because people rejected us, then how could God choose me? Right? If, if people won't choose me, then how come God's going to choose me? Well, guess what? People didn't die for you either. But God did. God picked you. For some of us, you just need to, that alone will set you free. To understand that you're not an outcast. 
Like, it doesn't matter how many more Bible verses they know than you or how many times they've been to church more than you. None of that matters. You are not on the outside of this team. God chose you. He picked you. He called you by name. He knew you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. There's a Bible verse that says he has more thoughts about you than there are grains of sand on the beach. He picked you. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made is we've made Christianity be more about what we are doing when it's really about who we are becoming. Don't ever, 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 don't, from, from now in the next 50 years as you're a faithful member of Victory Church who ties and we're just doing great things, listen to me, don't ever come back in here again worried about what you're doing. Come back in here excited about who you're becoming because that's what it's about. That's, that's what this, God picked you, he chose you, and now you are becoming what he wants you to become. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you are becoming. Paul said, uh, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So number one, he chose you. Number two, here's my favorite one. You are under construction, right? He chose you, number one. Number two, you are under construction. Constructions. Philippians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says this, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he, everybody say he, he. this is God, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God began a good work in in you. Here's what this scripture does for you and I. It shows each of us, you ready, that we need work. Everybody in here, all of us, it's, it's, it's biblical evidence that we are all in need of work and that we are all under construction. We are currently in the middle of being changed. We are under construction right now, all right? That, that, that sets you free. If you've ever been wondering, well, I don't know, they, they, you know, they worship, they stand up and put both hands in the air, and they, you know, so I, I think they're, no, they're under construction too, all right? All right, I'm going to set you all free. You ready? All right, your pastor's under construction. Y'all are like, uh, bro, okay. <laughs> Duh, right? Everybody, I'm really surprised you. Darla's under construction. Not as much, but not as much. Everybody, there's not a person you will ever be. I've told a story before that I know I have, I have some acquaintances that sat by the bedside of Billy Graham as he died. And they were asking Billy Graham to pray for them. And he said, will you pray for me? And they said, what are we going to pray for you about, Billy Graham? He said, pray that I, that I finish the race strong. Even Billy Graham knew I'm under construction. We can't embrace God's promise of change until we are willing to admit that we have some broken patterns. Until you and I are willing to be able to say, hey, I'm not perfect. See, I think one of the biggest pandemics of our culture today is this, um, this inability to be self-aware. Th- this whole concept that if I'm, I'm, I'm perfect, and if you think otherwise, then you're not my friend, so I'm going to leave. I was thinking about this, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Patrick Mahomes, you know, all the the greatest athletes, they pay people to tell them what they're bad at. Think about that. 
That's what makes them so great. And yet our culture is raising us up to say, well, if somebody says that you're not good at something, they hate you, you should leave. We've gone away from just being self-aware in the fact that, hey, I'll be the first one. How about this? Since I'm leading, I'll start and then you follow. I'm not perfect. God is working on me. I'm under construction. So there will be moments where I will do things that aren't perfect. There will be moments where I say things up here that you'll be like, ooh, we should probably leave for that. That's rough. But I'm, just, I'm under construction. It is what it is. But, but can I tell you what was interesting when I first got saved? And I'm not saying the pastor did this or the people did this. I almost think I came up with this my, myself. But, but because of what I was listening to and because of the way I was, I was, you know, filtering it through my brain, I walked out, and here's what I believed people were saying, that in life, there's, you are one of two people. You are either the broken person or you're the fixed person. That's, that's what I was somehow believing, that you're either broken or you're fixed. And so when you get saved, I I believe that that meant now I'm fixed. I go to church, so now I'm fixed. But here was the problem. I would still mess up and make mistakes. So if I believe I'm fixed, or at least supposed to be, but then I mess up, then the only thing I can assume is that I'm no longer fixed. I must be broken. At some point, I wasn't taught that there is a process in the middle because I was lost, but now I'm saved. But now I'm not fixed, right? I'm not fixed yet because I won't be fixed until I get to heaven. Remember what the verse said? They'll fix you. You'll come to completion in the days of Christ Jesus, which means you won't be fixed until the day you walk into heaven. So that means every one of us right now, we are in this process right here of a good work. We are being worked on. We are are under construction, and it is a good work. Thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's a good thing. He's doing a good work in my life. But look, when you think that it's either broken or fixed, and you realize that you're not perfect, watch this. The only thing you know how to do is to act fixed. Right? The only thing you know how to do is pretend like you're fixed. We actually got sayings for this. <laughs> it's interesting. We'll say things to pretend like we've got it all figured out. When in reality, we don't. So here's what we'll do. We'll be on the way to church cussing our kids. And then you walk in the door and somebody goes, how you doing? Go, uh, blessed and highly favored I am. Right? Because, we, right? because we're supposed to be what? Fixed. But we still make mistakes. So our theology's off. Because if I make mistakes, then I'm not fixed. So what am I? I must pretend to be fixed. Instead of just being honest with the idea that guess what? I'm under construction. I don't know if I've ever seen it before. I've walked in different places before, and they'll have those signs up. And here's what it'll say. It'll say, pardon the mess or pardon the dust. We are growing. That's the message I want for us as we're going through this series. Hey, I'm sorry. Pardon my mess, but I'm growing. God's doing a work in my life. I'll never forget when I was in Memphis at the church, I was in a position where I was always handling all the problems and issues, and these, uh, this, these older group of ladies were coming to church midweek for like a Bible study. And they showed up, and we had one of these main doors that was just was messed up. It was off the hinges, and it was just hard to open. It would get stuck. And I remember the, like, like the head lady, you know, she came to me, and she was like, this is a problem. We need to get this door fixed. I said, no problem. We'll take care of it. And 
you know, this went on for a while. It takes a while to get it approved and all that. And so finally we did. We were so excited because we were going to get this door fixed. And so when the guy comes out to fix the door, he's like, it's going to take a couple days to fix the door. So he kind of like shut it down. He marked it off like he couldn't use it, put caution tape around it. And we just had to tell everybody to go around the backside of the building into a different entrance. Well, it came time for this group to have their Bible study. And the same woman that had been begging me to fix the door, she goes all the way around. She comes to the door. She walks up to me. She says, I got a bone to pick with you. That's an old-timey saying, right? I was like, I was like oh, okay, what? She said, I don't like having to go around. I'm mad about this whole going around and coming. I said, I don't know what to do for you then. Because you were mad about the door being broken, so we're having it fixed. But fixing it is a process. And now you're mad at the process? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be somebody that's mad at the process. When somebody's going through, if there's a good work, I don't want you to be mad at me while God's doing a work in my life. I'm not going to be mad at you. I can't be mad at the broken door and the process. So if the door is broken, guess what? We can fix that. How? You need Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. But now, now there's a process. And I'm walking with you through the process. See, the first step to fixing any problem is to admit that there is one. But at some point, y'all, our theology got off. And we were taught, or at least led to believe, that if we're not fixed, there's something wrong with us. Do you follow the disciples in the New Testament all the times Jesus had to rein them in? Constantly working on them. Listen, you're not here. If you are here, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, let today be the day. But you're not here. You're here. And while we're here, you don't have to be ashamed to be here. And you don't have to keep faking like you're here. Just let that pressure go. Realize that you are chosen by God. You are a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. But guess what? You are under construction. Salvation is a one-time instant deal. Sanctification's a process. It's a process. And this is important for you to understand as we move forward in this series. Because if we keep moving forward being ashamed of this, then we'll never actually be able to see change. But if we're open to the fact that, hey, man, God's working on me. I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. Can I get an amen? I was reading this article. This was interesting. It said a lot of people don't believe they can change. He said, but those same people will look back on the past 10 years of their life and admit that they've changed. It's a process, y'all. Sometimes I just kind of like to bleed on you for a second. I got saved at 17. I'm 38. It's 21 years. I am not the person today that I was then. But I'm still under construction. I'm not really sure how it happened, to be honest with you just kind of a good work with God. So once you can embrace the fact that you're chosen and once you can embrace the fact that this is going to be a journey, this walk you have with God, that you are under construction, that you're going to have to put a sign on your chest that says, pardon my mess, I'm growing. Once you can embrace those things, then, then you'll have the answer to change. You say, wait a minute, what, what do you mean the answer to change? I'm about to blow your mind. I'm going to give you the, the ending of the movie 
and we're not even finished with the trailers yet, all right? Like, I'm, I'm going to spoil everything for you, that, that before we even get into this practical, uh, uh, applicable series about change, I'm going to give you the answer to change. But before I show you a scripture, i got to tell you a story. We're getting ready to close. I, I mentioned weeks ago or so that Darla and I and Brian and Erica got the opportunity to go to Panama City to see my dad. He lives in Panama City. That's when we filmed the video testimony that we showed on Father's Day. And when we get there, I, I, you know, I wanted to work out. And so I'm talking to them. I'm like, how are we going to work out? We don't have a gym there, anything like that. And, and one of them, I don't remember which demon it was, but one of them suggested that we should run, right? And I'm like, run? That just sounds, you know, like the Bible says that only the foolish run if they're not being chased, so, or the wicked. So, I, you know, let's not run, right? So I didn't like that idea at all, but I didn't have any other choice. And so they said, we're going to run. So I'm like, all right. Now, I hadn't ran in a while because I'd had a plantar fasciitis. It's all my excuses. I had a plantar fasciitis issue. It's a real thing. Um, so I had done like incline walking and biking, but I hadn't ran in a while. And so I told them that. And so uh, we get out and we go running. And it was a lot easier than I expected. I'll be honest with you, it was a lot, a lot more enjoyable than I expected. So we ran for about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. And then we went on with the day. And the next day we ran again. The next day we ran again. The next day we ended up, we ended up running every day that we were gone. And, and throughout the week, I, I eventually was running by myself because they would kind of go, they finally realized I was good, so they left me, and I was running by myself. But I was having a great time, enjoyed it. So we get back home, and the first morning we're back, I go to the gym, and I get ready to work out, and I said, oh, I'm going to run. And so I go to the treadmill, and I boop, 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 and I get to running, and it's miserable. <laughs> I hated it. I hated every second of it. I, I ran for what felt like 30 minutes. And it was like 30 seconds. And I was like, this is terrible. Why is this so terrible? Like, I just did it, and it was enjoyable. And people were like, well, you were on vacation. I wasn't, though. So, like, I don't, I don't, it wasn't, what, why, what, what's the deal? Why is one so bad? And why is one feel so, what, what's the difference? And then all of a sudden, I, I started putting the pieces together, and I realized that while I was running on the treadmill, watch this, my eyes were fixed on the time. And so all I was doing was running in place, watching how long I had been running in place. I was watching how well I was doing, and I was exhausted by the fact that I wasn't doing good enough. I wasn't running fast enough. The time wasn't going by long enough, quick enough. It was miserable. And then I remembered that when I was in Panama City, Florida, I was running. Watch this. My landmarks were palm trees because I didn't have a time to look at. And so I just ran from palm tree to palm tree to palm tree. And so I would tell myself, when you get to that palm tree, you'll be good. I get to that palm tree, I feel good. I'm going to go to that palm tree. And I would go to that palm tree. I said, I feel good. I go to that palm tree. I realized that the secret and my ability to be able to enjoy running this race was what my eyes were fixed on. If it's fixed on how well I'm doing, it's unenjoyable. But if I set my eyes on something that's beautiful, when I set my eyes on something that's above me and beyond me, all of a sudden it's enjoyable. And then I remembered Hebrews 12, verse 2. I remember what his scripture said. Watch this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us change. Let us change and let us run. Let us do this good work with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Watch this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Everybody stand with me. Come on, stand with me this way.
this is it. It's possible for us to change. It's possible for us to see life change. But it starts with who we believe we are. So number one, you're chosen. Number two, God's doing a good work in your life. But number three, you ready? Let's just fix our eyes on Jesus. Come on, would you just close your eyes for a second? Can we just turn our attention to him? If you're in here and there's an area of life that you're wanting to see his influence in, you're wanting to see his change in, come on, just right now begin to give it to him. So many of us have been so focused on our performance, how well we're doing, how well other people are doing. But the author of Hebrews said, if you want to run that race with perseverance, fix your eyes on Jesus. So let's do that right now. Just begin to ask him. Father, just help me. Just ask him. Say, would you just help me fix my eyes on you? Not to fix my eyes on what I'm doing or what I want to change, but to just fix my eyes on you. And as I'm running, pursuing you, I will enjoy it. There will be perseverance. There will be change in my life. Come on, right now, would you just begin to ask him for the area of change that you're wanting? Say, God, I need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my finances. I need you in my thought life. I need you in my addicted life. I need you in every area, this area, that area, my kids. I need you, Father. And he's telling you, fix your eyes on me. Ask him right now, Father, help me run this race, I pray. Help me run this race. I look to you, Jesus. I worship you. Come on, let's just begin to worship him in this place. Father, we lift up your name. We fix our eyes on you. The one, the only, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the author of my salvation, the finisher. Hallelujah.